and welcome to Minute 15 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today, in order to finish off Week 3 of this podcast, is Alan Sanders of The Wilder Ride. Welcome back, Alan. Thanks a lot, buddy. It's good to be back here, and uh, what a great Friday. What a, just, what a great movie to be talking about on a Friday. Yes, yes. So, Minute 15 begins with the awkwardness continuing and ends with Holly beginning to make an offer. So yesterday we we ended the minute by, uh, we had a very awkward minute between John, Holly, Ellis, and Takagi, who basically, he was the only one who wasn't part of the awkwardness. He was just, he, he, he was the only one who knew how to shut up. You know, and just not say anything. Just let things mm-hmm. play out. You know, it's unfortunately that Takagi, you know, doesn't make it very far in this movie. He's he's a great character. You know, you, you, you really can tell how intelligent this man is. And, and there's a warmth, too. There's yeah. a, there's a mm-hmm. genuine warmth. Uh, not someone to be trifled with. Not somebody who's weak. But someone who's not – remember how you used that phrase yesterday about tough as nails could be somebody who's cold or heartless? Mm-hmm. Right. He may be a tough boss, but he's also a genuinely warm guy, and he's not right. going to go out to just be a jerk unless you earn it. Right. But you, and you, I think he you, takes care you of wonder, You wonder why he's put up with Ellis for so long, if that's well, the case. I, you know what? That's a great question because I wonder that all the time. And the only thing I can think of, because he says a movie, he says a line later in the movie about, you know, I, I, you know, I negotiate, you know, million dollar deals for breakfast. Yeah. His brash, cocky, airy, maybe that that's lands him deals. Maybe he's that guy that you need somebody like that to just say, look, sign the deal. We've got we're going to make this happen. Like you capiche. Right. You right. get somebody who's like that mover shaker. So hyper confident. He may be your top salesperson. He's an asshole, but yeah, he's your top sure. sales guy. Yeah, I don't know, but I, I guess he he gets the job done. Even though you know sometimes you have to you have to you know look away at certain things just to uh, mm-hmm. you know avoid you know, just you know you you don't really notice it. <laughs> so basically, John wanted to get out of the awkwardness and asked if there's a place that he can go wash up. And Holly starts this minute by responding, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and, but what's really interesting is, is there, there's a huge elephant in this room and it just doesn't want to leave. <laughs> John's the one who's, who's, you know, here you have all of these brilliant executives in the room with him. And John's the one who finds the way to extricate them from, from everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you noticed this. Remember, I, I think said, it's from his once again. I think it's from his street smarts. I think that's what helps him to to, to make that decision. Yeah. Okay. Before I get to my other point, I'll, I'll I'll jump on that. You know, we always hear about that there are two kinds of smart. There's book start, There's book smart, and there's street smart. Right. Holly's book smart. There's no doubt about it. Intelligent woman. Obviously, Ellis at some point has something that he has allowed him to climb where he was in the executive world, and Takagi. Obviously, a genuine warmth, a wise guy, maybe has a little of both. Right. But John is definitely street smart. Correct. For sure. So, yeah. Well, what was the other point you wanted to make? 
So remember when I made the comment about how the Santa on the mantle, I said we used to have them on our, or we have them set up on our uh, fireplace, but they were animated because they would move. Okay. I guess somebody plugged it in at the beginning of the shoot of this scene because it's finally moving. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, they didn't, they didn't plug it in at the beginning of the scene. They plugged it in between these minutes because it wasn't moving well, no. before. It was plugged in because it had the light on. It just wasn't moving. Right. So now it's So moving. I thought that was interesting. I didn't realize that we do get a hint of the animatronic little figure holding the, uh, the candle in one hand and the, his arms out wide and he's moving. But we do get just a hint of movement on the close-up of, which, by the way, for the first time, you get Holly looking genuinely happy that she right. can get him to the washroom. Yeah. And and she like gestures with her hand, which is with with her head, you know, like right. Come this way. Let's get out of this. Let's you know. Let's blow this joint. You know that type of thing. <laughs> it's very, which is good, but uh, husband and wife wise. But it, it it's a bit of a sensual move. It's that yes. head nod. That's you know, like it's like, hey, want to blow this joint? Let's head exactly. to the door. We got places we could be. <laughs> we 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 have this uh, private bathroom to go to. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. No, maybe at this point she's maybe maybe John's line was able to break her out of her stupor for a few seconds by saying, "This is the guy. This is the reason I married this guy." You know, he's he's able to, you know, use his wits to get us out of uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I very much so. I I, I agree. I, I like that. I like it a lot. Uh, that a reminder that because again, it's been six months probably for her. That since they've been face to face, they may have had some heated phone calls, but yeah, it could very well be that that was the reminder of, well, that's why I fell in love with this guy. That's right. So then we get an out outdoor shot of a moving truck that is that has the the name Pacific Courier on on it. You know, we see the sun setting in the background, so. Uh, so I, I did a little bit of research as to what time sunset was in LA in 1987, 1988, and 1989, just to cover all the bases. You know, it's it's one of these three years, I'm assuming, <laughs> where this takes place. Doesn't matter what day of the week it is. What time do you think sunset was on December 24th in LA? Any LA time? Let's say probably like five o'clock, five in the afternoon. Okay, you are very, very close. So it's in 87 and 89, it was at 449, and in 88, it was 450. So again, it establishes that they're having this party with all this booze, you know, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Because right it's now it's 450. Oh, it's past lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. And so it, this and is it's after 5 somewhere. It's, it's true. Well, well, you, you asked if, if we're, we're talking about LA time. So in Atlanta... You know, it's it's already seven fifty. No, wait, it's a three hour difference or four hour difference? Three hours. Three hours. Yeah. Three so it's so it's almost it's almost eight o'clock. You know, when mm-hmm. when this is happening, it's eight o'clock in Atlanta. I mean, I I don't think you were in Atlanta in eighty eight, but still, you were still on the East Coast. I was on the East Coast, yes, but I wasn't in Atlanta. But I had already moved to to Georgia, so I yeah. When I saw this movie in the theater, I was I was uh, technically north of Atlanta. Right. Okay. All right. I mean, I, I was still in Detroit in 88. So, you know, also East Coast. So for me, this was eight o'clock. East Coast. Yep. You know. So, I mean, what's interesting is, first of all, the the name Pacific Courier. Do, do you know of any other movies that used that? Nope. 
Okay, so first of all, what what is the little translation of the name specific courier? What would you what would you say it is? Well, Pacific is on the West Coast because it's on uh, no, that but side Pacific, of the... Pacific. What's what's the definition of the word Pacific? Oh, I have no idea. I just assume the ocean. Ah, okay. So what it means is bringer of peace. Really? Okay. That's what the yes. word Pacific means. Okay. To, to pacify someone. You know, to like okay. calm them down and courier is to bring something. So it's a bringer of <laughs> peace. <laughs> well, how about that for an ironic name for the what's that, inside that, the movie? That's the <laughs> that's the point. That's the point. So in Die Hard with a Vengeance, so they have a truck in the very first scene that has an Atlantic courier. Right. Right, because it takes place on the East Coast. That's correct. I don't. I don't know what Atlantic means, so I'm not really sure. About that. I can't say what. Wait that, a minute! You, you went know, through all the effort of looking up Pacific, but you didn't look up Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> well, because when we get to Die Hard with a Vengeance, I'll look up Atlantic. How's that? Okay. I got. I got right, to save something. If I'm. If I'm. If I'm gonna, you know, talk about all that now, then I won't have anything <laughs> to talk about. You know, uh, a few seasons from now. Come on. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> Right, we don't want to blow our wad all at once. Exactly. <laughs> For sure not. You know, little little by little, little by little. <laughs> so, basically, and there's a third reference also in the movie Speed. Okay, where the reference is that there's a plane, the plane on the runway that gets blown up. Okay, has a it's 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 a specific career. And obviously what's the difference? What's the connection? Uh the connection's Jean de Bont. Jean de Bont. There you go. Cause that was his directorial debut, right? He had uh that was the first is that is that his first I don't think it was his film? first movie as a first, director. No, as a director. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that was his I think that was his first feature film that he did Speed because a lot of people were saying, oh, it's Die Hard on a Bus. Well, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that we know it is. It is Die Hard on I'm, a Bus. I'm pretty sure that was that he was a cinematographer yes, up to yes, that Speed, point. And they, Speed was his, you're, you're correct. Speed was his first movie. And then after that, you have Twister, Speed 2, The Haunting, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. And then Boom and Topper, Safari Hunters, whatever that is. Right. Huh, so I've, I've heard of five of the six. <laughs> so, yes, that yep. was his first thing. So I, I tried looking up the word Atlantic, and I can't find any real definition of it because it just says relating to or found near the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that doesn't doesn't really help. <laughs> so maybe the word Atlantic. Kind of my definition for Pacific. Uh, yes. Next to the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> yeah, in, in any dictionary I'm looking it up, you know, you have it have it in uh, the Cambridge Dictionary. It it all says the same. It doesn't. You know, it's it's interesting that that Pacific actually has a different meaning. <laughs> that is weird. Yeah. You know, the Atlantic does not. <laughs> oh well, what can you do? <laughs> there you go. Now people won't have to wait till till we do the season of uh, of Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> you yeah, already know now. You wait three years, like what? That's it? <laughs> I waited. Two, so I waited two now, more seasons for that. 
Now you don't have to wait for it. <laughs> right. So we, we get to see some very interesting things that, that, that happen around here. You see a uh, sign that says Century City Shopping Center. You see a sign that says where the parking and entrance is, you know, with a, uh, with an arrow pointing, you know, to the left, you see like a bank. And then what they do is they give us ominous music though, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the ominous music comes on and then the, the lights, the, you know, the lights go on, the headlights uh, are turned on as the music is going through. I mean, I, I actually trained myself that whenever I get in the car, I automatically turn the lights. It doesn't matter if it's the morning afternoon evening whatever doesn't matter you know because it really bothers me when i see people driving in the dark without their lights on it's because they have the opposite effect you know they just never turn it on and they have to remember to turn it on so for me it's an automatic thing i still remember i once rented a car years and years ago and i was driving from new york to, to washington and every time i got in the car i wanted to turn on the lights and i would flip the switch and the windshield wipers would go on oh because it's not my car. It was a different, different control, different control. Exactly. (laughs) Wasn't something I expected, (laughs) but Hey, it worked. Why not? (laughs) So the, then we see the, the truck make a, make a right onto another street. So as the truck is making its right-hand turn, we see that there's a car following it right behind it. And that is a 1981 Mazda RX-7. You know, I, I like the way that the the headlights, you know, are the type that that pop up and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I had uh, my first uh, my first car when I was uh, that I bought, not the one that was sort of like the demo learning car. My dad had that all of my brothers had to learn on. The first car that I had a job and then had a loan to 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 pay off was a 1986 Firebird, um, and it had the 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 recessed lamps or headlamps that would have to pop up when you turn the lights on. Otherwise, it'd stay really sleek and aerodynamic. I thought it was the coolest car in the world when I was uh, when I was a teenager. And now, <laughs> now here's the crazy thing. You know, we're gonna have a side conversation. I was until I hit 18, thought I was that guy that always wanted a new car, a cool car. I was car fixated. Then I started to have like bills, <laughs> and I started resenting <laughs> car payments. And I started realizing, you know what? I just need a car that's comfortable, gets me to where I need to go, and I don't care. I'd rather have more toys in my house than to drive my toys. So I, I, I don't mind a nicer car, but it's not nearly as important as when I was a teenager. Right. You just need something that will get you from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. So which, which makes sense. <laughs> that, that's what we need. <laughs> yeah. So – then when when we see that the, the the truck and the car make the turn onto onto you know make the right hand turn so we see the Nakatomi building in the distance we see that they're a few mm-hmm. blocks away yeah you know i don't it's know enough about shot. yeah i don't know enough about um la geography to figure out like what street this is or or anything like that you know i, I i'm sure that that it could be figured out pretty simply because you know it, it, people know where you know, the Century City building is, you know, but where, you know, what, what street it is, because they have like this really cool overpass that they go under, you know, like an archway. Did you notice that? Uh, Yeah, it's a walkover. It's a walkover bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it, but it looks really cool the way that they, that they do it. Yeah. You know, because they also, the, the, the camera pans out 
as as the truck you know like it moves backwards so that the truck looks like it's getting farther and farther away as opposed to following yeah. it correct it's uh which is something different that's not and you can tell it's not on a track where right. they're not pulling back they're just zooming out right right and then the the scene changes and we get to see uh John and Holly inside the building again John is uh wearing what I refer to as a wife beater you know yep. the, the 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 white t-shirt you know without without the sleeves it's uh right. what are, what are they it's not called a v-neck what are they, what are they called what's what's like the real name of those uh, well see I always call them wife beaters too <laughs> Well, that's but the that's, problem. You know. Oh, what is that style? It's not a crew neck. It's not a V-neck. What do you call? What's the name of the T-shirt? What's the official name? That's the wife beater. Hold on, my wife just walked in the other side of the room. It's it's you called know, it's a called sleeveless shirt. A sleeveless undershirt. It's not a V-neck. You're talking about where it looks like a a, a tank shop. The, the the white T-shirt. Is it not a tank T-shirt? A tank T-shirt or a tank T? It could be. I mean, I, what I found right here is called the sleeveless undershirt. Beater, real name. <laughs> I got. I got to look this up because I know when you go to buy it, it says the kind. Yeah, tank top. That's what it's called, a tank top. Okay. Here you have. You can find it on uh, Wiktionary. Wife beater. Oh, yeah. a shirt. That's it. An a shirt or the a uh, style. Okay. Okay. An a shirt. Okay, but yeah, tank top, a shirt, wife beater. Yep. <laughs> they, they're all. They're all the same. I guess in this day and age, wife beater may not be thought of as fondly as a name. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Depending on by who. But yeah, that's, uh, you know, but, but. You know who made that, that look famous was um, uh, Marlon Brando in uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Mm. Okay. But that, that's, uh, that's, that's 30 where that years phrase, the wife beater. Yeah. But he uh, he popularized sort of that look of Stanley Kowalski with the uh, you know coming home from work, taking off the shirt and just got his wife beater on and uh, yeah yeah. I wonder Brando. I wonder where the the phrase wife beater came from for that. Like why is it called a wife beater? <laughs> so let's find out why did they call that a wife beater? Well, if it comes from a streetcar named Desire, which a lot of people. Th- you know, again, credit Marlon Brando's portrayal of Daniel Kowalski. Think about his character. He wears that kind of shirt, yells, rages, rapes his sister-in-law, and beats his wife. Yeah. So, not a nice, not a nice guy. Yeah. So apparently, in 1947, there was a brutal crime story that went viral for its time, right? And it indirectly associated a violent male wife beater with the sleeveless white undershirt. Okay, a a Detroit Uh native named James Hartford Jr. There you go, Detroit again. I don't know if we want to, you know, be happy about that. We're both from Detroit, but whatever. (laughs) So he was arrested for beating his wife to death. And across the country. I thought that's a myth. I thought that story from Detroit's a myth. Uh, This is what I found on on dictionary.com. That's what it says about the wife beater. So it says that across the country, the readers were were surprised at the photo of Hartford in a baked bean stained undershirt with the caption, the wife beater. So (laughs) they were referring to the man, but everyone took that to be that, okay, 
we're talking about the shirt. And at the same time, Hollywood reinforced the connection between lower class brutish men and the undershirt. In A Streetcar Named Desire, Stanley Kowalski shoves Blanche Dubois to the ground. I told you. I know my Tennessee Williams. <laughs> yes, it was also a shirt that was a mark of immigrant status because Kowalski was Polish. Right? Mm-hmm. And it was it's also linked to poor Italian American men. And there were other slang terms for the shirt at the time for the undershirt at the time. It was known as a guinea tea or a dago tea, you know, which is basically ethnic <laughs> ethnic slurs. That would define the shirt as something poor. poor. Mm-hmm. We can't afford the sleeves. I can only afford enough fabric for the 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 little bands at the top and then Seriously. the body, and that's it. Yeah, but hey, you you were right. You were I right about the shikarn desire. That's pretty cool. Um, I was hooked on this style of t-shirt for a long time, especially in the south, it's where hot. it gets so hot, muggy. That you want something to maybe absorb the sweat on your back, but it just feels like it's a lot lighter on your arms. Now, if you've got bad underarm sweat, it doesn't help a whole lot because it's just going to go straight into your t- your right. shirt. Um, but um, I I liked wearing that style for a long, long time, and I still have a handful for when I'm going to be going to an event and and it's going to be really hot, but I, I don't want to wear a full right. t-shirt. All right, so we continue with the shot. We see that uh, John is is washing up while wearing his uh, A shirt. <laughs> wife beater, right? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, Holly is playing with something. She she has like this. I couldn't figure out. I I it, to me, I thought maybe it was some sort of like fancy scissors or maybe a letter opener or something like that. It just looks really strange. It's like this metal metal. It looks like a metal dagger, you know. Because she pulls one out, but when she, when it's an up close on her, it almost looks like it's like you said, like scissor right. handles. Because you see two sides like that are loops yeah. at the end, but then she pulls only one side out and it's a long what looks right. like a knife. And, so maybe it is. And a then she over. she like slides it back in as they're having their conversation. Now for some reason I don't know how this happened. This was pure fluke. But you and I once again have a discussion, uh, a minute where basically someone is standing by a um, a bathroom counter. Filled with with numerous things. Do you remember in in Planes, Automobiles, <laughs> we talked about all the things. It's, it's an automobile. There you go. You know, we yeah. had we had. I think it was in episode nineteen or twenty where we were talking all about all the things that Dell left on 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 the uh, on the sink in the bathroom. But here we have a slightly fancier bathroom than we had before. First of all, I love the fact that there's a telephone on the wall in the bathroom. <laughs> Okay, but some of the the things that we get to see here. Well, first of all, also we 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 see that there's an, an electric shaver that's plugged into the wall, which is obviously not John's because again, John doesn't have any luggage with him. So you know, he why does Ellis need a shaver if this is Ellis? I mean, actually, do you think they're in Ellis's office? Where do you think they are? No, I I think this I think she has her own washroom. I think this is. This is her executive washroom attached to her office, maybe around the corner. I don't think, or no, but she, no, but when we get into the dialogue here, we're, we'll see that this this can't be hers because because their conversation begins. Okay, we'll we'll we'll, we'll jump back and forth. We'll do the conversation, and then unless, we'll go back to to the various things on the on the, the sink. Un, unless the only thing I can think of is unless this is sort of like the generic executive washroom for the floor, but I got the sense that it was hers. 
Right. Well, because she basically she she then starts talking to John and says, "You'll have to forgive Ellis." He gets very depressed this time of year. He thought he was God's greatest gift, you know. Right. Now she emphasizes the word "he." Who is she referring to? Is 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 she? Is this a jab at John? Meaning that he that you know that John thinks he's a God's gift to the world also. No, I I I, I took it as uh, a, a snark at at Ellis. I I think the no, whole... but it's, he thought he was God's gift to the world. Meaning you'd think that something else should continue with that, as opposed to just like you. He also thinks that, you know, that type of thing. That's the way I understood it. All right. Read that line again as it is in the in the dialogue. He thought he was God's greatest gift, you know? Yeah. Ah, I see what you're saying. How, why would you say it that way unless the person you're talking to thinks the same thing? Yeah. Okay. I never thought of it that way. I do think they're not in Ellis's office just because she's referring to Ellis. I think she's just happy he diffused the situation and then she's right. like okay well one second let's 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 continue with the dialogue and then john responds yeah i know the type mm-hmm. again maybe he knows that he acts that way also or maybe he thinks that she's talking about some you know neighbor they had or something like that and then he goes i think he's got an eye on you and what's holly's response it's okay i have my eye on his private bathroom meaning she does not have a private bathroom or maybe she's saying his private bathroom is larger than my private. That's bathroom. how I look at it. That he's got the bigger, nicer office, the bigger, nicer, ba- nicer bathroom, and she wants the nicer up. She wants to upgrade the digs. Okay, I I always understood it that she wants his office because he has a private bathroom and she doesn't. Okay, could be either way. And but I let don't let know that either one's wrong. But I all that's all, for me as your guest and you are my host. <laughs> I always thought of it as. This is her washroom. It's just a sink. He may have a full shower, maybe even has a, a sauna or something much bigger and nicer. She's got the smaller bathroom. Okay. So, again, I I do believe that this is Ellis's office, but it doesn't matter if it is or it isn't at this point. But the fact that it has an electric shaver plugged into there sort of says that it's not Ellis's because Ellis doesn't need a shaver. He's got a beard. Unless he uses it just to clean up his neck. Could be. Okay. Right. That's a lot of times when you've got that trim beer, the guys, like, I I don't have that much of a problem, but I got buddies who, if they want to have that trim beer, they still have to shave their neck all the way down to, like, their collarbone just about. They got just, they're just hairy all the way down. Okay. All right. That's fair. So what what things did you notice around the, the sink? Did you notice anything? First thing, did you remember that? Did you remember that I'm going to talk about these type of things? I had when no you idea. saw them in a minute. <laughs> in fact, I should have known better. I should have t- spent three hours zoomed in and researched. You don't have to zoom in. You don't have to zoom in. It's it's right there in front of us. Well, the Avian bottle, the water that was really super popular in the 80s, as being bottled water rather than drinking out of the tap. Um, it was one of the first bottled waters I remember thinking about as a kid. It was like you're going to pay for water in a bottle? You get water out of the tap. But there's Avion yeah. right there. Um, there's Do you a- feel the same way today about that? Oh, yeah. We get bottled water all the time, but we buy, like, the store brand spring water that we have that we can keep. I still like it out of the tap. And we have a refrigerator that's got a filter to come off the line. Yeah. And I just – I fill up my water bottle three, four times a day from the refrigerator rather than pay for bottled water. But we do so much hiking and right. camping, we end up buying bottled water for that. Right. Okay. 
Um, I do notice to the far left, it looks like a, a scope bottle of mouthwash, uh, mint green. Correct. Um, okay. There is a tube of toothpaste, and I'm trying to remember the name brand, but I remember you held it down. You didn't have to squeeze it. It was uh, vacuum sealed, and so it would come out, and it had three um, colors. It was green, colors. red, and white, and it mixed mm-hmm. onto your brush. And I forgot the name brand, but I remember that was a Aquafresh. big Aquafresh. Aquafresh, yes, because it would – Instead of it being squeezed from the tube, it would actually it was vacuum sealed, and so when you hit the little thing at the top, it would kind of just start coming out on its own. Right. Okay. Note, Anything else you notice? Um, it looks like there's some other uh, either I don't know if it's if it's I can't tell if it's like a cologne or aftershave, but there is some four or five bottles off to the left of the sink, but I really can't make out name brand. Okay, right. That, that I couldn't make out the name brands either. And there's one other thing that you can notice. There is speed stick deodorant, but it's a stick. Oh, yeah. Right okay. Right in front of or between the Aqua Fresh and the Avion. Yes. I now, again, we're going to go back to the idea, is this Ellis's office or not? If it's Ellis's office, so it makes sense that Ellis would have his stick deodorant there. If it's a general uh, bathroom for any of the executives to use. I, I got to say, it's pretty disgusting if everyone's using the same stick. <laughs> <laughs> point. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's a point. Um, and you know, you're winning me over that this could be more of a male and maybe Ellis's bathroom because I never noticed the speed stick because that is definitely a right. men's scent speed stick. Yes. Now, I didn't notice any of these things before going to this minute. I never paid any attention to, to you know, John is, is washing up, talking to Holly. That's it. You know, I never thought about what's around, you know, the thing. So, what do you know about toothpaste? We'll start there. <laughs> I, uh, I know I use it every night. <laughs> <laughs> I have no... I, educate me, Rob. What? Tell me the okay. history of toothpaste. So, in 1873, the Colgate Company began to mass-produce aromatic toothpaste in jars. Okay, that it was it was something that that they that that is used. Obviously, we all know that that toothpaste is used in order to be able to clean the teeth and gums, in order to prevent uh, tooth decay and gum disease, gingivitis, and all all of those fun fun little words. You know, mm-hmm. the before the 20th century. So the many people had lots of problems with their, or they had more problems with their teeth than they do nowadays because, you know, it has become very popular to brush one's teeth. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, we, we mentioned the fact that this is uh Aquafresh. So it's a striped toothpaste that was actually invented in 1955 by a man named Leonard Marafino. Okay, who what he what he did was he found a way of creating a tube that had three different sections to it. The main one mostly being white. And when you would press the button, so we would mix them all together, but it's still mostly white. Okay. Um, what else? The Aquafresh. The the company actually started selling toothpaste in 1973, and from what I understand, it's it's pretty much on the decline. I don't I don't know how much you can really find Aquafresh these days. 
Okay. No. So, all right. Right. So what do you know about speed stick? Beyond the fact that it's by Menon. Um, I ah, great. My, by Menon. I did even the <laughs> jingle. My dad used speed stick yeah. forever growing up. And I remember when I was in uh, uh, middle school, first time I ever went out for sports was with football. I had the little small mini bot, little like that size here of the green, the original green speed stick that I could uh, take to my locker to be able to put on uh, after practice, taking a shower. Right. Okay. All right. That's good. So first of all, speed stick is, is, was created by what company? The Colgate Palmolive company. So it's, I, I wonder if this is, you know, uh, that they got paid for product placement here. <laughs> you know, so far we have, we have two things that they're both from the same company, you know, mm -hmm. and, Basically, deodorant has two purposes, right? Do you, do you know what the two purposes are? Uh, well, depending, like deodorant in and of itself is to keep the bacteria from forming underneath your armpits from sweating or just whatever that would causes the smell. But if it's got antiperspirant built in, it also helps to keep the wetness from forming in the first place. Right. So exactly, those are the basically the two things that it does. On the one hand, it tries to 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 prevent mask you know any type of body odor but at the same time it also tries to stop the, the the sweating from happening you know by i guess keeping you cooler and stuff like that um what else do we know about uh... all right so the first modern deodorant was was created in, in 1888 and it was known as mum okay m-u-m and it was uh, it was bought up by uh, Bristol Myers in 1931, and then they began to uh, develop an underarm applicator based on the newly invented ballpoint pen. So you know you had the roll on. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. It's interesting that that it's the same concept, you know, of using uh, you know a, a ballpoint pen and roll on deodorant. I never I never thought of that connection beforehand, but. M I, I don't know if they have that much, that many roll-ons nowadays. Do, do they still have roll-ons? I don't know, um, because they have the gels now that for people right. who like the liquid, but you know, you kind of use the one turn and it kind of you see the gel kind of pop up through the little mesh screen. But I right. don't know if they still got because I mean the roll-ons was basically like that. It was a liquid behind the roller, and the roller yeah. kept it all from coming out at once. Yeah, exactly. All right, so then we'll, we'll move along to scope. Right. So okay. what year do you think scope was invented? Well, that's, that's after Listerine, I think. So, well, we talked about Listerine uh, last season and we right. know that Listerine came in. Do you remember Listerine came into effect in the uh, late 1800s and mm -hmm. it was originally, you know, people would put it, it was used as a floor cleaner. Right. Remember? Right. And then <laughs> we wondered who was the first person that goes, well, if it's cleaning that floor, can you imagine what's going to do to my teeth? <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm going to say uh, early 1900s. Nope. Scope only came, uh, was, was created by Procter & Gamble in 1966. Wow. That and it is, yeah. And it is a, the main competitor to Listerine. I did. Now, I, knew, I remember growing up that the, because I don't think Listerine added any minty flavors until after the popularity of Scope. Because I remember... That was the thing about Scope. Scope tasted better than Listerine. Yes. 
Especially when you put a little bit of vodka in there and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't think about ever putting. No, vodka I never. In I never did that. That was. It was. Oh my! Do you ever see the movie Toy Soldiers? It's with Louis Gossett Jr., Sean Astin, uh, Will Wheaton's long, in it. Long time. Yeah, that, so that came out. Don't they call that the the Die Hard of like prep school? Uh, it's prep school of Die prep Hard. School, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that came out, I think, in '91. I remember seeing it, and I also read the. The, the novel that it was based on, which was, uh, I think it was written by, I think the name of the author was William Kennedy. And he had some great, uh, great, great thriller stories that I remember reading at the time. I remember going to the library, you know, back when, back when we used to go to the library and find stuff and I would be just looking for his books in order to, you know, take them out and check them out, you know, and then read them and then bring them back and check out something else, you know. And in the, in the novel, one of the things that the kids do is, is they put, uh, vodka. I think it's in the no- novel. Actually, now I'm confused. It could be in the novel. It could be in the movie. Where, where basically they put. Uh, for some reason, I have a picture in my mind that Louis Gossett Jr. is is testing it, so that they they were selling scope, uh, scope <laughs> f- flavored vodka, to to other kids <laughs> in the in the prep school. <laughs> so yeah. So all right, I, I I think we've talked enough about the stuff around the. Uh, Around the sink. We'll, we'll, we won't go into as much detail as we did last time. We'll... <laughs> right. And, and, spare the, and spare the listener. seriously. And Holly is still playing with these scissors or whatever they are. You know, and then, you know, we're, we're, we're still trying to figure out if this is Holly's place or not. Uh, but then what does she do right after she, she's finished with these scissors or whatever they are? She starts picking up papers that are sitting on on a desk. Okay, she's like rifling through someone's papers, looking to see what's been. Uh, she like there. looks. Yeah, what's funny is she looks at John, and it looks in a way that she's saying, "Okay, is he is he looking at what I'm doing?" And then you know she starts looking at papers. So this is someone else's office. I don't know if it's Ellis's. Okay, but she's she's rifling through someone else's files. You know, because the way she's looking at it also, she's like slightly picking them up from the corner and looking in, you know, looking from the side. And as soon as John turns to her, she like lets it go. You know, like, oh, I wasn't doing right. that. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I hadn't noticed that before, but I also wonder because I, I see, does it look like there's some rings almost like it's a calendar? I, I can't I don't, tell. I don't think so. It doesn't look like, files. to me, it doesn't look like a calendar. Um, uh, you're saying that she's looking at, you know, maybe what, where, what are his appointments, which yeah. is actually very helpful for her. Cause then she'll know which appointment she needs to be at next week because Ellis won't be joining them, you know, <laughs> for the rest. No, of his that's, life. Well, that's for that's, somebody else. That's Takagi. That's, that's Takagi, Takagi won't be joining them for the rest of his life. But, but Ellis, uh, you know, tell them you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> can you say that john 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 boy john, john boy <laughs> hey john boy <laughs> and and then she finally gets around to asking uh the the pivotal question so john where, where are you staying things happened so fast i didn't get a chance to ask you on the phone again what the hell type of statement is that <laughs> you know <laughs> this is a married couple trying to patch things up you know 
what they're gonna have a, a two minute phone call. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna come into LA for 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 Christmas. I'll I'll see you then. Bye. You know, it's like it's a very weird dynamic they're putting on for us because, you know, we talked about it last minute. You know, she walks in the room hesitant, gives a really awkward kiss, but by the time the end of the conversation, she's like, "Oh, that's my man. Come on, I'll show you the washroom." Now it's like, "Oh, hey, what were, where were you planning to sleep?" Exactly. Like, what? what <laughs> why wouldn't the first choice be at the house? Exactly. <laughs> You've come to visit us, but, you know but you're going to stay by someone else. But you know what? Maybe, and that, uh, this is the fun part. We're just going to read into this. We do know that they've had phone conversations because she just referenced one. Okay. But it was Maybe a fast there phone was call. A conversation. I didn't get a chance really? to ask you. <laughs> but maybe, besides this one, I'm sure they've had others. Maybe he said, you know, if I'm coming out there, I'm not staying with you. Or I don't know. Or I, who knows what... You right, know, both of them trying to like pee in their own territory and not go into the others. I don't right. know. I think I think but next week we have the the line where where they said we 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 went through, we, we talked about this in July, you know they, you know right where the discussion gets very so heated. It feels like the dynamic between these two actors they're playing it pretty well that it's on again off again on again off again, which I guess is explaining their marriage in the last six yes, months for sure. Then John responds, Cappy Roberts retired out here. Oh, yeah. Told me I could bunk in with him. Cappy retired, huh? So first of all, he's having longer conversations with Cappy than he is with Holly. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's so busy. You know, things happen so fast. She couldn't talk that's long. Right. Plus, no, long distance. Right. That's true. It's, well, maybe there were quick calls because John was calling as opposed to her calling from Nakatomi that he had to pay for, right. the, for the bills, you know. So then she goes, where does he live? And then he says, Ramona. <laughs> and then she begins right. to laugh and she goes Pomona and then he says huh and she says Pomona and then starts to laugh again right. and he goes yeah yeah Pomona and she goes yeah <laughs> and then she says god you'll be in the car half the time okay and you know what Here's the negotiator. Look at her face before it pauses at the end of the minute here, because we won't be able to get the rest of it. She's 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 getting ready for the pitch. Yes, completely. She's definitely ready for the pitch. Now, I, I, I've always wondered how far it is to Pomona. Okay, so I, I, I did a quick search, and it's pretty simple these days to find these things, you know, and the trip from Century City to Pomona is 43.2 miles. Okay, which takes usually about 45 minutes to drive. Okay. If there's no L.A. traffic. Exactly. Well, it's Christmas. Why would there be L.A. traffic? Come on. Okay, come on out to L.A. sometime. I... <laughs> so what What do you know about Pomona? I don't know. Uh, the only reference to Pomona in anything is from 1941, the movie where they believe that there were a bunch of Japanese marauders parachuting into the alfalfa fields in Pomona. Okay. Well, you are, you are correct and incorrect. You are correct that there is a reference in 1941. You are incorrect that that is the only place where there's a reference to it. Well, for okay. me, that I can remember. For you. Oh, for you. Okay, fine. For sure. So Pomona is a city in uh, LA County. All right. It's uh, they ha as of the, the latest census in 2020, there are 151,713 people who live there. 
There is a famous uh, university there, the California State Polytechnical University. In uh, it's called Cal Poly Pomona. All right. The the city was named after the ancient Roman goddess of fruit, Pomona. Hmm. Apparently, they they had a lottery to try and figure out what the name of this city would be, and a man named Solomon Gates suggested Pomona, and he won in 1875. That's why they decided to name it, because uh, and nobody had had planted any trees there, and they decided after that to plant fruit trees based on the that suggestion. Okay. All right. Now, one of the things that I looked up was, uh, you know, are there any people that we would we would recognize that were either born or lived in Pomona? And I found a huge list. So many different, you know, like uh, uh, there's a lot of baseball players, but I'm not going to go into any of those names. And But I'm just going to mention a few things of people that we do know. So first of all, Jessica Alba was born in Pomona, the actress. Okay, you have Todd Field, who is both an actor and a film director, also is from there. Mark McGuire, the baseball player from St. Louis and, and from Oakland and the very controversial, you know, uh, home run hitter. He also was born in Pomona. Which, which again, you know, you think Pomona, you don't, you 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 don't think it's going to stick out that there are people that you would know who are from <laughs> those places, right? Then you have uh, the singer uh, Tom Waits was born there. Do, do you know who uh, Larry Moolmore is? No. He was on uh, uh, Colbert for many years, and now he has his, he has his own show called The Nightly Show. So he's a, a comedian and comedy writer who's from there. So originally, uh, Walt Disney wanted to have Disneyland built in Pomona, but the city council uh, declined his offer because they feared that the park would not succeed and would cause the city to go into debt. <laughs> Boy, those were stupid people. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, James Elroy used Pomona as the setting for the fictional amusement park Dream of Dreamland in the, no in the novel Ellie Confidential, okay, which obviously – the the owner of Dream of Dreamland was based on, you know, Walt Disney. There is an episode of I Love Lucy where the main characters of the show go out to the country on a day trip to Pomona. And it's quite odd because it's it's uh, at this point nowadays, it's an urban area. But in the 1940s, it actually wasn't as urban as it is now. And Lucille Ball and Desiree Arnaz actually spent their honeymoon there. <laughs> when after they got married, which is why they used it in the show as the place where they went. Uh, what else? 1941 was part of part of the movie was set there, and then in the 2003 film uh, of the Cat in the Hat. So the the Cat in the Hat, played by Mike Mar Mike Myers, was actually able to transform Pomona's antique row into a street. Straight out of the imagination of Dr. Seuss. Hmm. So, yeah, a few I mentioned. I, I found it, I, I was a little annoyed in, that when I found this information, it doesn't mention Die Hard. You know, it doesn't say that John, you know, accidentally calls Pomona Ramona. <laughs> or, or a reference that's where Cappy Roberts has retired. Exactly. You know, but, you know, it's been, it's been 34 years. So who knows if Cappy's still living there. 
you know, he yeah. might he might be somewhere else at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you have anything <laughs> else for you have anything else for this minute before we get into the script? No, that uh, I think we've covered everything. We we have more than covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe not. Whatever. So, basically. It you know yesterday the the way that the minute ended yesterday in the script where John asks is there a place I can wash up so then uh, it says Holly happy sorry Holly happy for the excuse says sure follow me they go out alone Takagi's look at Ellis shows his disapproval of certain snow at Christmas <laughs> <laughs> great descriptor completely. Then it has a, a short little description. It says, an, an Emory freight truck turns off Olympic into the underground parking lot of Nakatomi. So I guess Olympic Road is the one that's supposed to be right near the entrance. You know, they obviously in the movie, they, they extend that a little bit because, you know, in this minute, that doesn't happen. Then there are some things that happen uh, next week. So I'm going to skip those for now. And then they go back to... Uh, John and, and Holly, and it says, interior, Ellis's office, night. Okay. Well, that kind of locks it in, doesn't it? <laughs> right. But it starts off with him clenching and unclenching his toes, which, again, we're going to talk about next week, not not this week. But but mm -hmm. I, I, just, I wanted to point out that according to the script, this is Ellis's office. And then it says, McLean, surprised, actually feeling his tension decline, says, oh, sorry. All right, we're going to skip that because that, that's next week also. And then it says, Holly sits <laughs> on the desk, watches him remove his jacket, tie, shirt, etc., begins to wash up in the private bath. And then Holly says, what are you doing? And McLean's response is, it's a long story, you know. I think that Ellis has, a, has his eye on you. That's okay. I have an eye on his private bathroom. McLean's face shows his relief or rather his attempt not to show anything. So where are you staying? This all happened so fast. I didn't even ask you on the phone. So again, here she's blaming herself because she didn't ask him on the phone. You know, it wasn't that, yeah. that uh, actually she says, it. Oh, no, she's actually the same thing. I didn't even, it's the same ah, no, she said, I didn't get a chance to ask. And here it's, I didn't even ask. So the way that it's phrased I mean, here, it's, uh, I don't know. And then it says, uh, McLean finishes drawing his face and steps to the bath doorway. Well, Cappy Roberts retired out here a couple of years ago. He said I could bunk with him. Oh, where does he live? Ramona. No, Pomona. That's it. So McLean corrects himself as opposed to having to wait mm. for, for her to correct him. And then he goes, Pomona. She says, then Holly says, Pomona, you'll be in the car the whole time as opposed to half the time. You know, gotcha. so again, slight I, uh, differences. I like the way that it's, that it stays in 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 the final cut. I don't think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm glad with the it way does they sound did it. like they also did a better job once they had the final footage of working some of the edits and putting things maybe in different orders, which makes more yeah. sense. True. All right, so because I do like he had done fist with his toes. Now it it wouldn't work as well as when it does actually happen in the cut that we get. Correct. The movie. Correct. So sorry. Sorry. You don't get his bare feet. You'll have to, you'll have to wait and listen to, to our guests next week who will have no idea 
why he's clenching his bare feet. Because he hasn't seen yep. the 15 prior minutes to the movie. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that's going to play out. That'll be, that'll be a fun week to listen to. <laughs> it's it's going to be a fun week to record. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, there's there's nothing in the novel that, that's connected to this scene. So we're going to skip that. So every Friday we have a surprise um, segment, which my guests don't know about. Eventually they will if they're listening to the show. But at this point, you know, we're still recording it before the show is airing. So, so you know, none of my guests know what surprise I'm going to put on them. So we have this segment called Weekend Surprise, where I then will ask my guest to explain if they believe that this is a Christmas movie or not. So, Alan, oh, you, alluded to, you alluded to it a little bit during the week. I tried stopping you, you know, but... <laughs> Multiple times you stopped me. And now you understand why. Yes, and I had no idea that this would be your Friday surprise. And I'm glad that we do get to talk about it. Uh, because this is unequivocally, without a doubt, there is no arguing, it is a Christmas movie. Okay, you got to explain why. Well, <laughs> there are some elements. Defend your you argument. Have have, you have to have certain elements for a Christmas movie. First, the easy one. It needs to be set in and around Christmas time. Christmas decorations, Christmas trees, Christmas music. You get all of that in this movie. Second, usually a Christmas movie centers around something to do with a couple or a family or something going on. And by the end of the movie, there is a resolution of happiness thanks to the miracle and the magic of Christmas. That happens in this movie. And if you doubt that there's a Christmas miracle... We get it directly from Alan Rickman's character himself. When they doubted the seventh seal would be open, he said, the Theo, you know, it's said, Christmas. Circuits. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, first he goes, Theo, it's Christmas. It's time of miracles. But then later he says, the circuits that cannot be cut are automatically cut in the event of a terrorist incident. You wanted a miracle. I give you FBI. the FBI. So you get a Christmas miracle. You've got Santa Claus, you've got Christmas trees, you've got Christmas music, and you've got a conflict in a family that needs the magic of Christmas through some turmoil, comes together, and ends up back together as a family. Okay. It's a Christmas. Great. You've, you've given great great reasons you for it. You even get the L.A. version of a snowfall at the end of the movie in the in, in all of the paper cascading yeah, down from the sky. screen doors. <laughs> it is... There is no doubt. I mean, I know people go, well, just because it happens on Christmas doesn't make it a Christmas movie. No, it's got all the other elements. You you cannot deny it. Christmas miracle, relationship. It's about two people that come together through the magic of Christmas. Yeah, there's a lot of bloodshed and action in between. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. I, I now have a machine gun. There you go. <laughs> and by the way, my all-time favorite Christmas movie, and as I tried to mention a few times earlier this week, it must be watched at least in the run-up to Christmas, if not on Christmas and Eve do, itself. Do, 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 does your wife and, and daughters, do they all agree with you on this? My wife will not watch it <laughs> on Christmas Eve. She's like, I'll watch it any other time. I'm not going to waste a Christmas movie slot with Die Hard. In her mind, she knows why I call it a Christmas movie. She would say it's not her kind. But will she Christmas. agree that it is a Christmas movie or not? Um, I think she does, but I don't think she thinks it's a movie you should be glorifying <laughs> during the holiday season. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, 
my kids, I think, are a little bit more into it because they were watching it with me growing up. And so there's more of the tradition of watching it kind of with dad. But um, I get on this on the radio all the time. I, and every year I have somebody come and go, it's not a Christmas movie. They're shooting each other. People are dying. And I'm like, it doesn't matter just because you don't like the elements in between. You still have all of the other things that make a movie a Christmas right. movie. That's very true. Do you, have you ever heard of the uh, podcasters uh, Penn and Kim uh, Holderness? Okay, so so nope. they were actually recently on on The Amazing Race. They were contestants on it, and I heard that they had all these these YouTube videos and stuff like that. So I went to go take a look at them, and they have some really cool stuff on their on their website. And one of the videos they he they put out parodies all the time, and one of the videos that they have is all about it, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and they, he has a great song and he explains why and stuff like that. I'll I'll put up the the link to that, and uh, it's just it's a lot of fun to. To, to watch what he what he does there all right so my question to you do you get to reveal what you think or do you or, or do we have to wait till the end to well, find out what you, see, you the part of the problem here is, the is you know being jewish for me I, I don't look at christmas the same way that everyone else does you know because for me it's not i understand no but you right, understand for sure for sure a christmas so, of course i understand the genre but it, it to me I don't look at it as a uh religious rite of passage you know, by, by watching it on Christmas, that type of thing, you know, because for me, it doesn't make it, it doesn't speak to me the same way it speaks to you from that perspective. Okay. Does it fit everything that you said? Of course. You know, I, I, I will not deny that. I can't deny that because I, I believe it is. But, but again, for me, looking at a Christmas movie is very different than what, you know, someone who uh, celebrates the holiday thinks about it and looks at it. Mm -hmm. You you ask a very good question. Am I going to reveal um, in the final episode whether I think it is or isn't? I, I might actually take a pass on this one because I, I feel in some ways that, you know, I don't have the right to make that choice. No, you do. You can still weigh in. I mean, like, okay, the Santa Claus, it has nothing to do about religion, yes, but, but, but is that a Christmas movie? But again, but those, are, movie those are elements of the Christmas, Christmas story. You know, you have Santa Claus, you have elves, you know, Rudolph, Frosty, all those things. I mean, these, because, you know, it, it, I can't, it's difficult to separate the religious from the non-religious aspects of it. Because I, I watch it and I enjoy it. I'm not saying that I don't enjoy it. I'm not saying it's a Christmas movie, so I'm not going to watch it. You know, it doesn't doesn't work that way. But I look at it that, that you know, for, there are things from, from my religion that I will look at and say, oh, this I can relate to much easier and, you know, than things from other religions. You know, that that's what it comes to. So whatever. I, again, I does it fit everything that you said? Yes. So. <laughs> Look, in some ways, this is the 80s action version of Santa. I mean, John McClane, actually, he doesn't come down the chimney, but he does come down the elevator chute. So, I mean, there are elements of that. <laughs> he flies through yes. the air and, <laughs> of course, attached to a hose, but he eventually comes into a window. Um you know, and he delivers. He he, he takes care and of the bad uses, guys. Uh, he, you know, he, he you know, saves colorful, the good people. Uh, tape. Mm -hmm. You know, he's wrapped up like a package at one point. Is that's right. <laughs> so that's right. There are exactly. so many. There are so many. I, mean, I get. I get why my wife and others are like, well, that's not the kind of movie you should be watching at Christmas. I get. But that. again, that's coming from a religious perspective. Right. For me, I I I can see it as there there are there are religious oriented 
holiday films, but then there's also those that are in the season of Christmas, the, the Christmas decorations, the music, the themes. Right. Correct. And so to me, I don't see any, except for the fact that we saw a cross on the wall with the show. There's not a whole lot of religious allegory in this. Right. <laughs> but but hmm. it is a Christmas movie. Yes. Okay. Very fair. All right. So for the final time this week, would you like to tell everyone how they can get in touch with Alan Sanders? Sure. Uh, I actually have a, a show very similar, at least seasons one and two, much like what you do here, breaking down a movie one minute of the film at a time. Did it with my buddy Walt Murray for seasons one and two, focusing on the movies of Gene Wilder. So we called our podcast The Wilder Ride. Uh, and so the first season we did Young Frankenstein. The second season we did Blazing Saddles. We have thoughts of doing other Gene Wilder movies, but during the worldwide fun of uh, two years of the C word, we decided to turn it into a talk show. And then my buddy ended up getting remarried at the beginning of the year and has been on an extended honeymoon. So there has been an extended absence of the Wilder ride, but we are hoping to get things going, even if in a limited sort of fifth season and then maybe get back to more normal next year. But we, uh, we have a lot of good stuff out there. You know, this, those movies, They've been around for a long time, so it's not like the content dries up. It's still a minute-by-minute -minute breakdown of those two fantastic Gene Wilder movies. Yeah, and you have some great guests there also. You, I mean, you, you you were able to find people related to the movie, related to actors in the movie, you know. And considering the fact that, you know, Blazing Saddles is almost 50 years old. It was fun. Know. Yeah, we had, definitely. We, we had a good time. <laughs> isn't, isn't that what this is all about? It should be. If you're if you're doing a show and you're having a miserable time and you're dreading your scheduled recording, you might want to consider hanging it up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that, that's very fair to to look at it that way. So anyway, just right. look at the Wilder Ride or you can you can Google it or go to wild the wilderride.com. Okay, great. And finding me is very simple. You can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher you might be listening to the show on. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on my website, on Facebook, or on Twitter. So, Alan, thank you very much. This has been a very fun week. Hopefully, we haven't, uh, you know, gotten many of our uh, listeners to to run away because we've talked so long on each of these days. <laughs> but I, I had fun. I hope you did too, and I I hope the listeners also have had fun. I, I hope so too. And hey, even depending, it doesn't matter when you're listening to it. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas in July. There you go. Remember, we're we're in the middle of July right now. Yeah. So yeah. All right. So everyone, have a great weekend, and I will see you on Monday with a brand new guest who will give us a very interesting insight into this movie because he has never seen any of it besides the five minutes that we're going to be talking about. So we'll have to wait and see what comes up during those conversations. It's going to be, I haven't, I haven't recorded it yet, so I don't know what surprises are in it for me too, but there's going to be a lot of surprises here. So tune in next week also. And you might even have more fun than, than Alan and I did this week, even <laughs> though I don't know if that's possible, but we'll have to wait and see. All right. So until Monday, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs>